Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. 97.1 FM Talk Podcast. This hour of the Mark Reardon Show is sponsored by Gamma Tree Experts. Your trees deserve the best care. Call Gamma Tree Experts. I, I went out and I tried to see if I could spot the balloon i could not spot the balloon huh. but i keep getting people even baldwin valley park the area that i live in fenton saying that they're seeing this thing now the uh, you know the sun's starting to go down which by the way on that front sue it is nice and we track this thing because we were here after five o'clock but we just kind of noticed that it wasn't too long ago a month and a half ago where it was pitch black at a quarter to five and now <laughs> look the sun it's going to be like until about five thirty. oh i we'll can't wait uh, so you can see the spy balloon but is it a spy balloon or is it not a spy balloon <laughs> Well, China, and I would I would go with their version of it here. China <laughs> says that the balloon that the U.S. military has identified as a spy vehicle, in fact, is a civilian craft designed primarily for meteorological study, which blew off course. Right. Just take their word for it. Sure. Here's the statement from the foreign ministry uh, late today in Beijing. China regrets that an airship strayed into the United States due to force majeure. China will continue to maintain communication with the U.S. to properly handle the unexpected situation caused by force majeure. Uh, the way the Wall Street Journal tells the story is the balloon was spotted over Montana. U.S. officials said Thursday, days before Anthony Blinken was uh, planned or to make a planned trip to Beijing. He canceled that, by the way. And I think Congressman Wagner made a pretty good point on this. Why cancel the trip? They say they've indefinitely postponed the trip. Why not go and say, look, we're not going to stand for this? I've heard a couple of people weigh in on this today, um, including, I think, the former vice president, Mike Pence. Don't cancel the trip. Go there either with parts of the balloon and say this is never going to happen again. Uh, now, a lot of people want it shot down. They're not shooting it down. They don't think it's a threat. The military has advised the administration to not shoot it down. Sue, so something else that somebody said is if you shoot it down, well, then you can't get any of the intelligence information from it if, in fact, it is a spy vehicle. Well, well that's fine, but it's going to blow right back over the ocean, isn't it? Yeah. I, none of it. <laughs> I would think that... Uh... It, regardless of all this stuff, oh, it's going to hurt people on the ground. Take You should have taken it down over water just to say to the Chinese, you're not allowed to fly stuff right, through right. our airspace. The end. 
Uh, U.S. officials said they were confident the balloon was sent by China without giving specific evidence. They said Beijing had previously sent high-altitude surveillance balloons over the continental U.S., but the latest balloon was spending more time over the U.S. than in previous instances, which kind of leads you to believe um, certainly it's happened before and we haven't heard about it, right? Oh, for sure. That's what it sounds like. But I think we send up balloons similar to this, and they try to be right before space, high enough that they can't really see them, and I'm sure that's probably what this was, and it just dropped down a little too low. So listen to this. This is um, from the Wall Street Journal coverage. It says, U.S. military and those in other countries have used high-altitude balloons for decades mm-hmm. as communications and surveillance platforms. Chinese analysts have highlighted the role balloons can play to support military operations. Here's a quote from a military newspaper in 2021 from China. In the future, balloon platforms may also be as frightening as invisible killers like submarines in the deep sea. Um citing the ability of balloons to loiter for long periods in the same location, as well as their cost effectiveness and the difficulty of detecting them. High altitude balloons have also been reported in recent years above Taiwan and Japan, two other military rivals of China. In one incident, a balloon in September of 21 was seen transiting the northern Japanese um, area, which is the location of the U.S. and Japanese military bases of Amori. Um, General Arichu Karotka, former chief of staff of the Japanese Air Self-Defense Force, says Amori is undoubtedly an important area, and I guess there's F-35s and other things there. So I, I don't know where this is going to take us. It certainly is curious. People are having a little bit of fun with it online, obviously, but it also can be something that would be relatively serious to our nation's defense, and as Congresswoman Wagner made it very clear, we do have a constitutional responsibility to yes. ensure the nation's defense. So I don't know where this is going to take us, but we'll certainly keep you posted. And I guess as it gets darker here, people are going to have a little trouble getting. I don't think it lights up, does it? Do we think it lights up? I don't think so. That'd be weird if it did. Yes, it did. Okay. Uh, hey, Sue, you'll like this. Our friend Tim Summer, music expert extraordinaire, former record exec, um, and also author, is going to join us on the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame nominees. I also want to tap into him and just see what he knows about. Have you heard this gossip stuff about Journey, Neil Sean? No, and, and what about John? it? Well, apparently, and you know how these bands go back and forth, apparently, Someone in the band, maybe Jonathan Cain, has used the American Express card inappropriately. Seriously, there was an issue about expenses, and oh. Neil Sean had to tweet out something. Jonathan Cain is still in the band. They, they do not get along together uh, very well, and a lot of that's because of Trump, believe it or not. There's, we'll get into that a bit later. But huh. Tim's going to join us, and we'll see where he thinks some of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame entrants should land. Should they? You know, He's never shy about his opinions, so True. we will uh, we'll chat with Tim and an audio cut of the day. Tom Baker is with me this afternoon. He's written a book called The Fall of the FBI, and we thought this was an important issue considering everything that's going on right now. Tom, how are you? Thanks for joining us on 97.1 FM Talk. I'm fine today, Mark. How are you there in St. Louis? We are doing all right, but this is really kind of a sad topic, isn't it? Because I don't think anyone at this point can argue that the FBI has fallen and, and fallen hard in the last couple of years and maybe in the last couple of months. Well, yes, it's a, it's a concern for all Americans, uh, but I, as having spent virtually my whole life in the FBI, I find it particularly sad. Yes, sad is a good word. Let's get a little background on Thomas Baker and your history with the FBI. One thing that sticks out is you were there, uh, one of the first agents on the scene when President Reagan was shot, right? Yes, and I uh, devote a chapter in the book to that because, as you probably saw from the uh, cover even, uh, the sub-theme of the book is the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I try to set forth the good things that the FBI did in the past so we can learn from them and contrast them. And, yes, I was 
very deeply involved in the reaction, the response to the attempted assassination of President Ronald Reagan. Well, maybe before we focus on some of the bad and the ugly, we focus on on some of the good that the FBI has. And I think a lot of people still want to f- have faith that the FBI is still a part of, of the good, right? But a lot of history with the FBI. Is that what you're referring to, some of the good things that have happened over the years? Yes, yes. And how how we were trained and the reverence for the Constitution that was literally bred into us as agents. So what happened? I mean, that's what the book is about. But what happened here with the FBI? Well, I, I believe the fundamental, the underlying problem is a change in culture. And the, the change in culture began under Robert Mueller and then was exacerbated by the poor leadership of James Comey. Uh, that's, the, that's the root of the problem. When you have the root of the problem being the uh, the leadership at the top, and by the way, I don't think a lot of people would take issue with you there, but couldn't you also make the case that, look, uh, the agents in the field, and we, we have you know, a field office here in St. Louis, we have a relationship with them, they're still doing their job. Is, is that possible, or does it all trickle down, Thomas? Well, we, we fear that some of it is starting to trickle down, but I speak to a lot of people in today's FBI as well as a lot of people in the cadre of retired agents, And they're all concerned about the change in culture. And a lot of people in the Bureau do see and feel the change in culture. But unfortunately, some people now, uh, they've gotten so used to the the new uh, paradigm uh, that they think, well, this is the way things should be. Uh, And and that's that's the danger. And that's the danger to all of us as American citizens. Uh, if, If I could just say this, Mark. One of the, the the FBI, the culture of the FBI had been one of a law enforcement agency. And in the law enforcement agency, you live every day, consciously or unconsciously, for the time when you're going to have to stand up in court, raise your right hand, and swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. That informs everything you do. You're dealing with the truth and with facts. It's quite different from an intelligence agency that deals in best guesses and estimates, and actually as one of their tools and their way of living is deceit and deception. Thomas Baker is my guest. His book is called The Fall of the FBI, How a Once Great Agency Became a Threat to Democracy. How in your mind, and we could talk about Mar-a-Lago because that that seems to be a pretty recent example of excesses, but let's take that just for a a second out of the mix. When you talk about how the FBI has drifted away from its law enforcement moorings, what examples, what are the most egregious examples in your opinion? Well, the the whole the, the the one really where it all jumped out to all of us was the the initiation of the Russian collusion investigation. Uh, that would have never happened under previous directors. I'm certain of that. There was absolutely no predicate for opening that investigation. The only thing they cited, and to this day, it's what James Comey cites in his book uh, and McCabe as well, is was a conversation in London between uh, this fellow Papadopoulos, who was in, associated with Trump's campaign, and, a, and a, a diplomat in which he said he heard a rumor that the Russians had dirt on Hillary Clinton. Now, if you stand at any bar or go to any restaurant in Washington, D.C. in election time, you will hear a half dozen rumors, <laughs> pro yeah. or con anybody. That's not the basis on which you open an investigation of a U.S. person. And in this case, a president in a presidential campaign. It's a total over. Only an intelligence agency would do that, not a law enforcement agency. So do you, do you think then 
and this is sad as well, that the FBI, is it a corrupt organization from the top at this point? Well, a lot of people use that word. I don't use that word corrupt. I think the culture's changed. Every time something goes wrong, up to even just a few weeks ago, uh, a former um, agent in charge of the counterintelligence division in in uh, New York City was found with his hand in the cookie jar, and he was he would have been fired. Now he's being prosecuted. Every time something goes wrong, Ray, the current director, and other people say, "Well, we've fired the bad apples. We've got rid of the uh, the malfactors." Uh, but the fact is, they have to stop and think and look. What's causing this? What's wrong? What changed that this keeps happening? And they have to address the culture. Where do you let's talk about Mar-a-Lago, Thomas? Okay, because that that one seems to be pretty blatant right now, especially when you look at some of the um, you know the other things that have come out about Biden and I guess our former vice president as well. But that seemed to be one that even got the attention of remarkably some people on the left. Not everyone, but there were some that were principled that said, "Wait a second, this this is way way beyond what we." would expect in a situation like this? Well, that's exactly it. It's way beyond what we would expect. There's uh, undoubtedly it was legal. Uh, the agents, the department uh, the attorney, uh, the assistant U S attorney involved in it went to a magistrate, they got a search warrant and then they conducted a raid. It was legal, but it was an overreach. It was an abuse of authority. They didn't have to do that. They could have used much less intrusive means they could have continued negotiating with the former president. They could have used a summons, a subpoena. And this is what we saw all along in the last three or four years, beginning with the Russian collusion thing, a, a, an overreach where something was actually technically legal, but that didn't make it right. And we saw that in the abuse of General Flynn and others, the, the, the overreach, the lack of restraint in the bureau in the past. The, the restraint was bred into us. If you had an allegation, of, and which we did, uh, against, say, a congressman or a senator or a judge, a federal judge, uh, we'd have to really have a strong case, and we'd be called on the carpet all the way up to the director, uh, William Webster or Louis Free or any of those gentlemen, and they would have asked us, do you have enough? And they would have listened, and sometimes they would say, you need more. Yeah, interesting. You didn't, you didn't go frivolously into the investigation of another branch of government, be they the judiciary, the legislature, or whatever. Uh, that restraint is lacking today. It's totally lacking. You know, Thomas, the, the lack of trust obviously goes beyond what's happening with law enforcement, the, the FBI. We've seen the CDC. I think that would put them at the top of the list when it comes to, you know, the lack of faith that the American people have. Uh, but I bring it up from this perspective. Can the FBI regain this trust? I mean, is this broken now and unrecoverable? Well, the honest answer is I don't know. My hope as an optimist is that it can be that the culture can be changed. And culture has been and can be changed in organizations. In fact, uh, in the corporate world, there's whole textbooks written about it. But the first thing in changing a culture, you have to recognize that there's a problem, number one, and then up and acknowledge the problem. And then up front, you have to have this in your mission statement, which they've changed that, and, and then do a lot of things, large and small, big and small, to change the culture. And you have to be consistent at it. But the first thing is you have to recognize it and have the will to do it. 
Thomas Baker, his book is called The Fall of the FBI, How a Once Great Agency Became a Threat to Democracy. I appreciate coming on here. Since we have you, you know, one of the things in your bio is that you have experience with police management and training issues. So I must ask you to sort of reflect on what you saw in those tapes released from Memphis. Well, it was uh, tragic and it's also sad and disheartening. And I feel sorry for the uh, the young man who lost his life and the whole thing. But once again, uh, in law, throughout law enforcement and, and law enforcement in general, state and local, have been doing a better and better job of this over the past 20 or 30 years. Without a doubt, they have to maintain standards. And one of the things that's coming to light now in that incident in Memphis is that standards were loosened in order to recruit some of these fellows. And we have to maintain standards in who we recruit and then have the proper training procedures to be used in in confrontations on the street and then proper supervision and there was certainly was all three were missing in there there was a mistake in recruiting there was uh, a lack of training was reflected in, in what happened we see it on the tape and there's a definite failure of supervision of those officers on the street. Yeah, let uh, There's me, a lot to be done. Let me ask you to explain that a little bit more. I, when I, I do this political round table on Friday, and one of my uh, guests this past Friday was our former police chief and former county councilman, Tim Fitch is his name, but he mentioned the supervision. I heard this discussed on Fox Friday night a little bit as well from other law enforcement folks, that typically what should have happened with supervision like in a situation like that? Can you explain that a little better? Well, I'll, I'll just for a minute, I'll dwell on that. Uh, and as you know from my bio, I spent a lot of time training at the FBI Academy. And I don't be, claim to be any kind of an expert in, in, in local policing, but I heard a lot. I sat in on a lot of lectures by a lot of experienced police chiefs and others. And a key in urban policing in America, a key individual is the first-line supervisor, usually a sergeant. So the sergeant is the first line of supervision, but he's out usually out on the street with the officers, it's a key position and it's a very stressful position because you have to have someone of enough character to say to these other officers who are strong-armed men, stop, no, we're not doing that. And there is always the tendency to go along with these guys to be accepted by them. So the key position to focus in any police and uh, every chief of police knows what he's talking about, I'll tell you this, is that first line of supervision, as I say, usually a sergeant, the first line of supervision, you have to focus on forming those sergeants, giving them backbone and backing them up. And that's a key to the supervision and preventing or minimizing problems like we have just seen demonstrated. That's great. Thomas, thank you so much. Again, the book is called The Fall of the FBI, How a Once Great Agency Became a Threat to Democracy. The topic in and of itself, as we mentioned at the start, is rather disappointing and sad. Hopefully we can have some optimism. But, Thomas, thank you again for joining us here in St. Louis on 97.1 FM Talk. Thank you very much, Mark. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. 
T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. So I have gotten an amazing array of pictures. They're all very similar. It looks like a white dot in the sky from listeners, (laughs) from friends. My friend Don, who's down in the Festus area, just sent some pictures and a video of the uh, the Chinese spy balloon. It's out there. It's floating around the country right now. We haven't shot it down, so it's going to be there for a few more days. Tim Summer is with us to talk music tonight. Our uh, good friend, music journalist, author extraordinaire, uh, record company exec. And I don't know if you've um, been obviously been dialed into this. Do you have any vantage point where you've been able to see the Chinese spy balloon today, Tim? Well, I want to say something right at the top of this conversation. I am not an authority on rock and roll. I don't want to give anybody this impression. I am just a civilian research airship. (laughs) I I like that. I think it fits. I want to make that absolutely clear. I'm glad. Well, we're not going to shoot you down. That's for sure. You don't have to worry about that. I'm glad about that. And if no one has told me what direction to look in to find this uh, civilian research airship, and does it have slogans on the side? Why are they not selling advertising on this thing? That is an excellent question. That's a missed opportunity, if you Even ask me. Difference, you know, Mark, this is the difference between the damn Chinese and us. It if really it was is. Us, if it was the U.S. of A., we would be selling, what do you want to sell? Whatever you want to sell, it would be up in that balloon. See, they missed the opportunity because next week's the Super Bowl. You fly that thing in next weekend, you float it right across Arizona, you got all kinds of TV coverage, right, with the banner exactly ads. Right. Yeah, yes. Uh, but yes. on a serious note, we don't really know what this is all about, so I'm a little creeped out by it as well. And it's yeah, just amazing. Yeah, that is to absolutely me. correct. I, I mean, it makes you wonder what you haven't found out about. For and sure. it also makes you wonder what it was like. I mean, you and I probably just experienced the, the tail end of this when we were little kids. What it was like to experience in the Cold War and the, and the duck and cover exercises and stuff like that. Yeah, well, when I woke up and I was up early this morning and I, I started seeing some of the coverage, I, I just blew it off. I'm thinking, well, this is a bunch of nonsense. And then it just keeps building. And lo and behold, I had no idea that right about the time, and this is true, right about the time that I hit the air, people started seeing it in our area. You know, it was coming across mid-Missouri, and then we started getting a lot of reports in the 4 o'clock hour that it was essentially right right over where we are, at least to the That's south amazing. of here. Yeah, so yeah. there you go. All right, well, I brought you on to talk a little Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, so let's start yeah, with sure. that. The Grammys are this weekend as well. We've had these discussions before. 
lists are lists. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is is what it is. You're not going to really change, I guess, the requirements at this point. But let me just start with this one. And I was a fan, you know, sure. of the music and everything. But maybe I know where you're going with this. Does this um, Cindy Lauper, does she belong in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Had a bunch of hits, but... Uh, does, I don't know. This is one that kind of I question. Maybe it's just me being misogynistic. The I don't know. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is so loose and so ill-defined. Ultimately, I respect anyone who was part of our culture. She was a big part of people's lives in the 1980s. She was a big part in making MTV the brand name that it became. That's true. She was. People dressed like her. Maybe in places like uh, outside of the major cities of America, maybe because of someone like Cindy Lauper, Mark, maybe because of somebody like Cindy Lauper, you didn't got made fun of if you dyed your hair pink. And I respect that. And because of that, because of her place that she had in people's lives and memories, and really that's all a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame could hope to be. It's not like you're looking at batting averages or RBIs or wins over replacement or anything like that. It's really a sub, it, it, it's, an, it's an opinion. And in my, in my estimation, the fact that Cindy Lauper meant so much to so many people, was the soundtrack to so much of their lives, means to me that, yeah, maybe she does belong in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. All right. Well, you kind of made you made a good case there, I think, for Cindy Lauper, and and I can understand that. And look, you don't you don't know the qualifications for all these people are going to be maybe a little different. I'll offer this one because it's a Missouri um, nominee sure. and Cheryl Crow, and I'm a big fan of Cheryl Crow. And look, if if I was in music radio at the time when Tuesday Night Music Club comes out, that is a pretty yeah. defining record for females in rock and roll. And that I think it did change Very well a lot. Put. Yeah. Very well put. And I think two things. I think Sheryl Crow belongs in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, instant name recognition, a lot of credibility, high profile, big sales. I think she has everything that the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame needs. And I think, uh, you know, I think, again, she was a big part of people's lives. There are people, a lot of women, especially at a time when women weren't really engaged and being encouraged to participate as makers of music. There are a lot of women who picked up guitars because of Sheryl Crow. Yeah, not only do I think she belongs, I think she's a lock to get yeah, in this. I, I think so, too. Um, I know that you mentioned and she had a resurgence last year. Take last year and Stranger Things out of the mix. Make the case for Kate Bush. Kate Bush, there are two people on this. Look, here, let me take a little step back. Kate Bush is one of the biggest omissions from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, as is Iron Maiden. Iron Maiden is also on this year's nominee list. Both Iron Maiden and Kate Bush are two of the biggest omissions. Iron Maiden, first of all, are one of the biggest rock and roll bands throughout the world of the last 40 years. How they haven't made into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I think, is a sad and sorry indictment of what's wrong with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Likewise, Kate Bush is one of the most innovative and creative and influential women singer-songwriters of the past 45 years. She's at the very top of the list. Now, Mark, having said all that, I don't think either of them are getting in this year. Really? I think it's such a strong class, and you have to think the way a voter thinks. When you think of who's going to get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, you can't think of who you want to get in. You don't think of that, because that's not going to happen. 
you have to think of the kind of people who run the organization, the kind of people who vote for the organization, and it's a very, very strong class. And because it's a strong class, I don't think Kate Bush or Iron Maiden, both of whom way deserve to get in, are going to get in. Well, you have a, a bunch of these artists are first-time nominees, like Willie Nelson, George Michael, Missy Elliott, Sheryl Crow is one of the first-time nominees, Joy Division, New Order, um, The White Stripes, and Warren Zevon. What do you think about Warren Zevon? Because I'm a fan. I think Warren Zevon's going to get in, and I think he, he deserves to be yeah. in. I mean, I'll tell you off the top, I mean, right off the top, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to handicap for you, okay? Yes, please. Um, Willie Nelson, uh, he's a lock. I think Sheryl Crow is a lock. And I think uh, Missy Elliott is a lock. That leaves open three positions. I mean, that leaves only, open only two spots for the non-locks. And in there, I put Warren Zevon in the White Stripes. Yeah. Again, this in terms of the White Stripes, there are three grungy hard rock acts nominated this year. I'm not counting Iron Maiden. There are three grungy-type American acts nominated this year. Soundgarden. Rage Against the Machine, and White Stripes. And I think there's only place in the top five if I'm thinking like a voter. I'm not thinking like a rock critic here. I'm not thinking like a civilian research airship. I'm just thinking like a voter. If I'm thinking like a voter, I only use one of my votes for the top five positions on a hard rock act, and it's probably going to the White Stripes. Hey, Uh, I have a question, Tim. It's Sue. (laughs) Why Why Willie Nelson? Uh, it, there's a country music hall of fame, no? I mean, did he yeah. do, is it just because Long on the road ago, again? Rock and Roll Hall of Fame stopped having any of these kind of divisions, having mm. any of these kind of, uh, you know, different avenues and different, you know. Willie Nelson, you know, Willie Nelson, you vote for Willie Nelson in the same way. Willie Nelson is extraordinarily talented, but in terms of his place in American pop culture history, man, he's Bob Hope. He's Dean Martin. He's Sammy He's Sammy Davis Jr. He's Johnny Carson. He's an American legend, and on the basis of that, I think he's a lock for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So I agree with you. Uh, the genre specifications make the whole thing a mess. Well, they do, Tim, because I, 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 I get it, right? I mean, where do you go if you're a pop act? Uh, there's no real place and the rock and roll hall of fame is you know the closest you can do but country has it covered so uh, sometimes i get confused yeah and that's that's very legitimate again i think willie nelson's a lock just because of his place and his age and the respect that he holds and his hipness again it's like you know he's 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 part of america and because of that I think he's a lock to get nominated. So, I think they'll elect it. I want to I want to shift to the Grammys. So the Grammys are Sunday night, and to me, the Grammys have kind of become a joke over the years. Maybe in the same way the Rock Hall has, just to a certain extent, in my opinion. But we can always have these these arguments. But in the Record of the Year category, I guess maybe in some of the other categories, it used to be like the Oscars would have five Best Picture nominees, and then they changed that. Right. One of the groups that I belong to, uh, the Critics Choice, we do ten nominees for films. Well, now in Record of the Year, Tim, we have ten nominees for Record of the year hasn't the whole spot spotify era made all of this irrelevant i mean it's just i remember as recently as the late 1990s you would go to the grammys and i was fortunate enough to go a few times uh you would go to the grammys or you would watch the grammys on tv and you know what they would do they would hand out awards and every now and then there'd be a musical act it was about the awards it's the opposite now now. it's about big flashy performances 
And once it becomes a TV show, once you begin that, you're going to hand out only five or eight awards during the show. The rest of the awards are handed out, you know, at 1 o'clock in the afternoon at the local subway um, <laughs> or if you live in the East Coast Blimpies. Um, you know, the whole thing becomes irrelevant, and it goes back like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And both of you, both you and Sue, have heard me say this so many times. You know, you have your own Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Because there's no, if you're going to do something just based on the criteria of sales, just just based on statistics, then people like George Michael or Hootie and the Blowfish, for that matter, would be a cinch. But that's not the criteria. Instead, they're using very, very, you know, you know, loosey goosey criteria that nobody really understands. And frankly, I, you know, I won't be watching the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and. Frankly, I'd rather be looking at, at pictures of Sue's dogs or, or anybody's dogs. <laughs> well, I understand. Maybe I'm encouraged by this, and I I, I don't know how I missed Sue has this. Great dogs, by the way. I know we she does. I know we talked about this. I'm sure maybe even you and I talked about this when the um, you know the nominations came out for the Grammys. But I didn't realize. And Sue, did you realize that this fan Abba is uh, nominated for Record of the Year and Album of the Year, all kinds wow. of nominations for ABBA or, ABBA, or do you say ABBA? I had no idea that they were having a resurgence. How did I miss that, Tim Summer? They put out a new, new album. album. Yeah. And they, to promote their, uh, and I'm not going to say this quite right, to po- promote the holographic live performance they have running in, in London, which apparently is a wonderful thing to see. Now, I'm a big ABBA fan. Uh, again, whether they should be, you know, the music industry is one thing to a 16-year-old. It's one thing to a 25-year-old. It's one thing to someone who has studied and been obsessed with music their whole lives. It's another thing to someone who just hears music in the Walmart. Generally, whether it's the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, whether it's the Grammys, I kind of think, and there's nothing really wrong with this, I kind of think it's kind of all about people who listen to music in the, in the Walmart. You know? And that's fine. I have no problem with that. Let us celebrate the fact of what music means to each one of us. And towards that end, let me very quickly ask you, Mark, have you seen Springsteen yet? Has he come around yet? Well, no, the the, the tour opened two nights ago in Tampa, and I'm going two weeks from tomorrow in Kansas City. I also have tickets opening night in Barcelona, Spain, on the European legs. So I'm, I'm, you know, yeah, I've seen, I lose track. I've seen the band, I don't know, 40 times. Bruce, you know, solo shows probably seven or eight so i'm into the upper 40s with shows here but it's been six years so i and i think you and i hold maybe different opinions of the e street yeah, band but i have but... enormous respect for the man and i have enormous respect for his fans because i think his fans are the kind of people who are joyfully obsessed with music and that's the people i want to hear from that's the people i want to interact with i mean god bless the people to whom music is just you know, what they listen to on Spotify, what they listen to in the Walmart, what they listen to in the CVS. God bless that. But I think Springsteen, one of the reasons that regardless of what I think about him or his music, one of the reasons I love Springsteen is I think Bruce Springsteen and his fans are people who are obsessed with music. God bless them. Well, you know, for me, that's what it was about. When I was a, I was a 16-year-old, very depressed, lonely kid, and my dad was uh, generous enough to say, hey, let's go up to the Peaches record store in the fall of 1980 
and buy a record. I just moved here to St. Louis in 79. I didn't have a lot of friends. Uh, you can buy a new record. And I was a thinking man even back then, Tim Summer. And I said, I'm going to hit you up for the double album, not just a single album. So Ooh. we're going to buy. And this was my first spring. I didn't, ha- I didn't have Born to Run. I didn't have, um, y- you know, the, Wild and the, the Innocent. Was a river Yeah, album? that's what it was. So I bought The River. And I, I mentioned this the other day from the standpoint, you know, kids, they, they're on video games. When I was a kid, probably you and Sue, you know what I did in my room when I was supposed to be doing homework? I listened to records. That's what I listened to, music. Yeah. And when I put that record on, uh, it connected with me. And I know that everyone is going to have to have their own connection. Some people are going to say, ah, I don't even get that music. I would say that, for example, about The Grateful Dead. Never connected with me. My wife was a huge deadhead. It just was music that didn't connect. But we all have our different connections. And the thing about the E Street Nation is that we are so passionate. We know all the music. Yeah. And, and Tim, you know, you say, the shows are legendary. I don't care what you say. I can bring you to a show. You might think you're not going to like it. The guy just performs. And the other and night in Tampa— And don't, he, think, don't think that I didn't the day, the, the day after, the morning after the first show of this tour, don't think I didn't Google up that set list. Well, right. Well, and so, and you know, so there was, because people will give me grief because I'm a conservative talk show host. Look, I know where his politics are, but I've seen the guy into the 40s. I've never heard him preach on stage about politics. Have there been comments made? Of course there have been. He lets the music speak for itself. The other night, he didn't say anything. He played song after song after song for two hours and 43 minutes. There was no politicking or anything like that. They just played the music because this band, this is what they do, and that's what they're going to do for the next two years. And this may be the last trip around the uh, the globe. You just don't know at this age, right? That's exactly right. Now, because mostly rock and roll is and should be a no politics zone, unless of course you're Jonathan Cain's wife. <laughs> okay, I mean, now I was gonna. So I wanted you to get into the journey gossip because this is kind of interesting to me because I've seen Neil Sean sort of pop up on it, and I have a little bit of a a perspective on this because when they came to Bush Stadium a few years ago, I interviewed Neil Sean, Tim. And I, didn't know that. I recorded the interview, and at the end, and every once in a while I'll try to do this, and, and it was, there was a good vibe with Neil and I, right? So at the end of the interview, because I was taping it, I said, hey, I'm going to the show, um, you know, dropped a hit, love to say hi. And he goes, yeah, let's do that. He gives me his cell phone number, <laughs> all right? I still have it. And I text him, and he, um, he said, yeah, uh, here's the information. So I show up that night, and I'm, I'm in the dugout at Bush Stadium because it's an outdoor show, and I've got a pass on. my. Uh, I call her my part-time nanny. Kayla was there. She helps take care of my daughter. She was there with friends. I said, hey, I'm here by myself. You want to go back and meet Journey? And I, I thought it was meeting Journey, but it's not. It's just Neil Sean. So I get a pass on, and on the pass it says NS for Neil Sean. And then there's passes that say you know, uh, JC for Jonathan Cain. Oh, interesting. And SS for Steve Smith. So they're all separate. They are. But here's the thing. I'm the, Kayla and I are the only ones that have, you know, NS. So I make a comment that night. I said, well, I guess Neil doesn't have a lot of friends. And the, the tour manager looks at me and goes, no, you don't understand. He never does this. Oh. And he goes, You're, come with me. So he grabs us. We go into the into the dressing room. I spent a half an hour before the show. Def Leppard's on. I want to see Def Leppard because yeah. I'm a fan. But I'm fascinated because Neil Sean, and more importantly, his wife is there, wow. and I'm not too shy, and I start poking around because, to your point, and for people who don't know this, Jonathan Cain and Neil Sean and the wives in particular, they have different politics, and this has been a bit of an issue, and they kind of opened up a little bit on that particular disagreement. I mean, in a very diplomatic way because they didn't know me, but I've found, and I think you know this probably better than me, there are so many of these rock bands that just hate each other, and they don't even talk before they go on stage. They go on stage, they do their shows. But in this case, Jonathan Cain's wife got in trouble for some expenses, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, again, I don't want to get into the issue. It's not my business, you know, 
God bless her <laughs> that she believes what she believes. I, You and I, and I'm sure Sue as well, have heard have a lot of issues with people who maybe exploit people via televangelism. I don't know if she's one of those people. I don't want to say she is. What I will say is, as far as I can tell, uh, Neil may have a legitimate claim if she is using the banned credit card to to finance in any way her ministry or the expenses of her ministry which seems to be what the papers are saying, if I'm, if I'm not right, mistaken. Right, right. Wait, and, she, oh, sorry, she has a ministry? Yeah. It, oh. It, it's very, the, the whole thing, she's She's by, a major league, uh, you know, send me money and I will make sure you go oh, to heaven. Oh, oh boy. Yeah, he's even like in charge of this again, thing, I City say of Destiny. With no, with no, I don't say that negatively. I right, mean, but they both have, there's, there's, so, but Sean's wife is the one who, and I forget her name, Neil's wife is the one who snuck into the White House Correspondents' Dinner when Obama was president with this other dude that she was married to. So the, on the one hand, you got the Trump supporters and Jonathan Cain and his wife, and then Neil and his wife, not so much, and they've had some big differences over the years. But listen, you know, I always want to go on and talk music with you, and I can't because i got to break and do audio cut of the day, and I'm going to go out with Brandi Carlisle because I do root for her on the Grammys on Sunday night. But, Tim, it's always great to talk music, always and I appreciate pleasure. it. Right. Thank you, Mark, and thank you, Sue. Have a great weekend. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission. All right, now I, I guess I'm hearing the uh, Chinese spy balloon making its way past Cape Girardeau in southeastern Missouri. I've gotten a ton of pictures. We talked about this quite a bit from the beginning of the show at the roundtable. If you're not caught up, yes, there has been a Chinese spy balloon. They say it's just a weather balloon that just kind of, you know, Oopsie. got off course. Right. Yeah. Nothing to see here. No. Nothing to worry about. But the military has deemed it not an immediate threat. They decided not to shoot it down. The advised administration that they shouldn't shoot it down. So it's just floating across the country taking pictures of your... Um, your bedrooms and everything yeah. else. Yeah, your right land. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have audio cut of the day and maybe a couple of non-traditional ones, so let's just get right to it here. Stand by. Playback ready. Now, the audio cut of the day. You know, sometimes I like to get away from politics, especially on a Friday. Uh, but some of this is political, but I'm going to do it anyway. The first one I meant to use when Paul Hall was on Talking Entertainment because I thought this was curious, but we got distracted because we were talking about the spy balloon. This is interesting. This is Matt Damon sort of answering a question in a very, uh, it's going to make a lot of sense to people, I think business relations-wise, business-like manner. In, in, In the question is, why does Hollywood not make movies like they used to? The DVD was a huge part of our business, of our revenue stream, and technology has just made that, uh, obsolete. And so, the movies that, that we used to make 
you could afford to not make all of your money when it played in the theater because you knew you had the DVD coming behind the release and six months later you'd get all, you know, a whole nother chunk. It would be like reopening the movie almost. And when that went away, that changed the type of movies that we could make. I did this movie behind the candelabra and I talked to a studio executive who explained it was a $25 million movie. I would have to put that much into print and advertising, right, to, to market it, um, what we call P&A. So I'd have to put that in P&A. So now I'm in $50 million. I have to split everything I get with the exhibitor, right, the people who own the movie theaters. So I would have to make $100 million before I got into profit. And, and the idea of making $100 million on a story about, like, this love affair between these two people yeah, I love everyone in the movie, but I, it's a, that's, a, that's suddenly a massive gamble in a way that it wasn't in the 1990s when they were making all those kind of movies, the kind of movies that I loved and, and the kind of movies that were my bread and butter. Well, that kind of sucks, right? Very I mean, interesting. But it, but it makes sense, doesn't it? Yes. You know, the streaming platforms, it, it, I don't know if authors would say the same thing, but let's think about it. I mean, if you talk to an author, Ridley Pearson is a friend, comes to mind, St. Louis author who has had numerous bestsellers on the New York Times list, both in his mystery uh, genre and he does young adult as well. But writing a book used to be, I think, somewhat lucrative. You could make money writing a book. Right. Now, you, you're not making, you're not making, there's no hard copies or there's not as many hard copies. So the offers are not, so does that keep, good writers away I don't know but that Maybe was they, a I think that was a pretty good way to sum up the movie business and one of the financial aspects then there's this this is the political one this is um, Riley Gaines who had to swim with Leah Thomas um, at the University of Pennsylvania who of course is transgender and was nominated by the University of Pennsylvania for the woman of the year award uh, Riley Gaines graduated from University of Kentucky and has complained about the you know inequities and competition. So she was the host at an event that was sponsored by the new speaker, Kevin McCarthy, and I I thought this had an impact. But again, you won't even see coverage of this. No one has asked us how we felt. We exist to validate a male's identity. Um, But the Ivy League, Leah Thomas's teammates, actually, when they were concerned about the locker room situation and they sent an email to um, the Ivy League and the NCAA, their response was, here are some counseling resources you should seek if you, if you feel comfortable seeing male genitalia in your locker room. And then they were referred to the LGBTQ Education Center to educate themselves on the oppression that these athletes are dealing with. So no one within the NCAA is willing to acknowledge us, our feelings, our safety, our privacy. Um, I've really tried. I feel like it's really only happened like the past couple weeks where I like get emotional talking about like the locker room scene because it is just so wild that you can turn around and see a 6'4 biological man pull his pants down watching you undress. She wrote a column. Oh my gosh, what a yeah, great, it, I mean, it's and again, ridiculous. It is ridiculous, and again, where are you seeing any of that coverage in the legacy media? No, nowhere. Not. She wrote a column on Fox News this week saying, look, that these women are being blackmailed into thinking that they're wrong for being uncomfortable <sighs> undressing in front of a naked man. We should not have to add the term biological in front of the word women to address differences in performance in our separate categories, and good for Riley Gaines yes. on that front. Have a great weekend, Sue. We'll talk on Monday. You got it. Get more at 971talk.com. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours 
And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. 